Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports Podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, very good morning, Reg. Yeah, well, I tell you, it's starting to feel the, the the festive spirit is kicking in. I was in town during the week there, and the uh, place is buzzing. Absolutely fantastic. How's everything with you? Everything is good. Yeah, all good. Uh, just uh, was that the shootout, of course, has been on. I was watching, actually, before we talked about the shootout, watching the, a little bit of the Shane McGowan funeral yesterday. It was a really good send-off for him, wasn't it? Ah, oh, fantastic. Um, uh, well deserved. It was like a concert, I have to be honest with it you. Was. I spent the whole night last night uh, flicking through, uh, looking at clips of all the wonderful performances. Um, it was a gig you'd love to have been at. It really was an amazing tribute to him. A wonderful, wonderful send-off. And uh, what uh, what tribute acts, you have to say, putting in the performances to him. Yeah, it was brilliant. And the entire time boys band and everything playing the fairy tale in New York and you know, through the streets of Dublin. It was that was brilliant, really, really nice, you know. Glenn Hansard did a great job, didn't he, as well? Absolutely, yeah, they were all wonderful. I saw Nick Cave as well doing a, a great version. Um, yeah. You know, uh, of, um, I can't remember, was it... Uh, Lonely Night in Soho, I think he did. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it was really, really good. Um, sad news, you know. I mean, I yeah. suppose everybody probably, no one was probably surprised uh, that he went because his health wasn't great for so long. But, uh, yeah. you know, very, very sad news all the same. Especially a bit poignant that it was this time of year, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody be rushing out buying fairy tales. Uh, it'll be number one for Christmas. It has to be. It's one of the greatest Christmas songs ever. I mean, it has to be. I know? think the greatest, personally, yeah, for me. Yeah. It's on my number one on my list anyway. I know yeah, people have different ones. There's always that argument comes up, but it, it is the number one for me when you hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Anyway, uh, that's uh, Shane and may he rest in peace um, and a wonderful send-off for him yesterday. Um, yeah. We had a good week last week with the snooker, I have to say. I watched oh, that final. Uh, Ronnie performed like Ronnie of old, I have to say. He yeah. was so steady, so uh, rock solid, you know. And it's funny because we were talking about Ding and saying how that first match he had against Mark Allen was so shaky and how he was sick and everything else. And he put in a yeah. good battle as well. He was brilliant, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And put it right up to O'Sullivan, you know, got to uh, seven all at one stage. Uh, but Ronnie, yeah, it's almost like he has an age. I mean, he won it when he was 17, Reg, 1993, mm. 30 years ago. And uh, he's the youngest and now become the oldest winner of the UK Championship. He was 48 on Thursday. And uh, it's just incredible, incredible career. You know, after everything that he's been through, you know, and even everything coming out with the documentary and all the stuff he would have had to do for that uh, but just managed to be able to put that aside get on the snooker table and just play like he's almost like he's playing in the club like you know he has that innate ability to be able to just play when it means everything but he, he plays if it means nothing you know and it's, it's amazing amazing talent that he has he's eight, eight, eight UK championships now he's won it's funny that you say um he plays if he has no, it means nothing. I've noticed in a change in him, though, uh, I think, anyway, just observing. 
Uh, I, it's almost like, you know, he seems to be in the moment a bit more and appreciative yeah. of, of the wins, you know, when he's, when he's getting there and uh, respectful to the opponents that he's playing against. And yeah. there just seems to be a complete change in mindset and attitude on him. He, yeah, he seems to be right. very yeah, there. But I mean, he's come off the table and say he doesn't really, he's not really bothered whether he wins or loses. And that. But, but it doesn't come across that that is body language. Now. No, not at all, no. Well, you can see the determination once he's on the table. You know, the focus, the concentration, and uh, the will to win. Now oh, it's, it's uh, and for doing it for 30 years, you know, it's, it's, it's quite incredible. Yeah. Quite incredible. Absolutely. Well, no, I think that's all a bravado stuff to me personally. Oh, when he comes so. off and he says, "I don't care," and this and that and the other, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he cares more than anybody, and um, it, it, I think that's the problem. And uh, well, it affects him so much that he has to just get out of there, get away, and, and try and keep a brave face. Yeah, but I think absolutely. we're seeing a change, especially as he's getting older. I think he's appreciating things in life a bit more. So yeah. I think it's great. I, lo- I love Ronnie, and I think it's great oh, to see well, him that way. I mean, it's a great. He's been a great. <laughs> you know, uh, talisman for snooker over the years. You know, and he's mm. drawn so many people to the game. Uh, you know, he, you know, he's our he's box office like without a doubt. You know. Yeah. Okay. The shootout didn't go great for you, uh, no, Matthew Stevens. Off, I broke off Matthew. Locked the long red bed fifty four. Good luck. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Twelve four hours. Twelve four hours of swallowing to do that. It must be a very very hard format, is it? Ah, oh, it's unbelievably hard. It's so difficult. I mean, you got, you know, you've got ten minutes. You don't. Sometimes you don't get a shot. I mean, you know, I remember playing and flying over from Dublin once, getting into a small little uh, twin propeller airplane. There's only there's only two of us on the plane. Flew over, I played Mark Selby, broke off. He made 125. I was back on the plane in a couple of hours. Oh my gosh! Like, I mean, it's so weird. And I mean, yeah. you know, I saw uh, like that wonderful performance by Sean Murphy. Yeah, uh, incredible. I won four seven. I watched the whole thing, and you know, remember, remember when Ronnie did the the five minute one four seven, yeah. um, uh, five and a half minutes, whatever it was, and then but Sean's was, you know, it was what was it eight minutes? It was fairly rapid yeah. as well. It was pretty quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, amazing to do that in one frame shooter. It's never been done before. Yeah. Uh, but then he loses the next match. <laughs> yeah, but like, that's the thing with this. You know, it, it's almost as if you're afraid to break off. You know, know. it's a kind of a flip the coin thing. You break yeah. off, and that could be the end of it. Like Mark Williams losing as well. Lots of big yeah. names going out. Lots it's, of big names going out. Yeah. In fact, it, it's one of these tournaments, Reds, that could change somebody's lives. Uh, you know, this, because it's a great opportunity for those players uh, outside the top sixteen. You'd say that wouldn't really have many of a chance to, to win one of the big tournaments. But if they win this, you know, they get a champion of champions. Uh, you know, there's lots of, they probably get into the Grand Prix, which is the top 32, and probably into the Tour Championship, which is the top 16 uh, tournament in the new year. Yeah. So there's lots of trappings that go with the uh, the 50,000 prize money. It's probably worth about 80,000, 90,000 to somebody. Uh, and that would be life changing for a lot of those players outside the top 16. And, and that's possibly what, that's exactly what happened last year to Chris Wakeland. Yeah. And it could happen to somebody uh, overnight. I mean, we have a young lad there, Sam Moody. He's only, it's his first year as pro. He's only 6, 17, I think. Uh, he, he's still in it, you know, and it'd be great to see him get a great run in it. You know? Like, we're down to the, I think it's the final 32, and there's only 32. three names that I recognise, which is uh, Kyron yeah. Wilson, Mark Allen, and Ali Carter. I don't I don't recognise anybody they're else. The only three top 16, yeah, they're the only three top 16. You probably, well, Ryan Day would probably be in there as well. He, he's a former. Oh, yeah, player. yeah, I see him there, uh, yeah. Might recognise him. 
Yeah, Graham Dot maybe as well. Yeah, yeah Graham Dot, former world champion. Mm. Keep an eye out for Tep Choya Unu from uh, Thailand. He's, he's probably the fastest player, uh, apart from Ronnie on the circuit. Uh, left hander, really talented player. He, okay. he, he could possibly, uh, it'd be good at uh, dark horse. Yeah, okay. Well, it is a bit of a coin flip with this format, but uh, we yeah, will, it's yeah. but, but it, it is exciting to watch. There's no question. It is very exciting. It's very yeah, exciting yeah. to watch. And it's it's funny as well, you know. Particularly with the show now, you know where you got me. Uh, taxi for Doherty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There there isn't quite the same crowd of the snooker that you would normally see, and it. it's a bit more like no. the darts at times. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's gone a bit down that road, but just for this tournament. But it's good fun. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Good TV as well. You know? Exactly. And good to see everybody mm. enjoying themselves. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, before I let you, let you go, I have to get your thoughts. Being a big golf fan, no more than myself. All the yeah. talk, all the bravado, John Ram, it's all out. Yeah. Money. Money talks. <laughs> Money right. talks. $450 million. Wow. Yeah, he says he's doing it for his family. You know yeah, I mean? and and, and the Sevy legacy, and uh, to, <laughs> to, to 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 create awareness of golf in Spain. Uh, Fair play to him. I know, I know, it's incredible. <laughs> you know, for all for everything he said last year uh, or this year uh, about live golf and same with the PGA Tour and trying yeah. to create a legacy and win tournaments and stuff like that. The check was dangled in front of his uh, in front of his face. He says, "Where do I sign?" You know, yeah. so. Uh, I don't know where it is. This PGA Tour now, you know. I mean, it's quite. Uh, they've got to. They've got the to get into negotiations. The they've got to get huh? into. Go- it, it, yeah. it was a real hammer blow for the PGA, you know, because they're financially they're having to get backers and they're having to do everything else, and it was a real kick for them. Um, yeah. And maybe Ram saw the writing on the wall and decided to get the payday before Make it was too late. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but uh, like I mean, no, nobody can knock anybody for doing the best for them, for themselves, or their family, for anything yeah. else. But come out and say it. Don't don't give us the whole uh, legacy stuff and yeah, yeah. growing the game. It's the um, yeah, the four hundred and fifty million check that would do it for me as well. I have to say, I'd be gone. <laughs> Wouldn't take that much. <laughs> Wouldn't take that would much. You go to another radio station for four hundred and fifty million reds. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, there's a few <laughs> knocking on the door here. Yeah, I can hear the I can hear the bell ringing outside. Yeah, that's Joe. <laughs> okay, it's time to turn our attention to rugby now. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Dan Van Zeeuw. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Good in yourself, Reggie. Uh, not so bad. I was a bit disappointed last night, Dan, I have to say. Connacht are my second province and... Uh, God, we were poor last night. We really were. And I really was disappointed with how they performed. Champions Cup, Vest Tech, of course, now the new um, sponsors. So we all have to get used to saying that new name. But I really wasn't expecting this. In the sports ground, Connacht, especially the way they performed against Leinster the week before, robbed in the last uh, minute of the game. Uh, They were just hammered. They were just beaten off the pitch last night by Bordeaux. Yeah, no, I must say, I was also surprised, and especially after the first five minutes when when Connacht really looked like they got amongst them, you know, and they got a lot of gain line and so on. But then suddenly thing, things went south and they could never establish that stronghold in the game again. What went wrong, Dan, do you think? I mean, you're, you're coaching in the game a long, long time and watching it with your coach's glasses on, where, where did it go wrong for them? Look, it's easier probably in hindsight. And, you know, we haven't seen it yet because everybody, and including myself, you know, has been very, um, you know, very happy with how Connor has played at the moment, you know, and with their new coaching staff and so on and the attack style that they play. But, you know, Bundiaki yesterday, 
we never saw him in the game, and in hindsight, would it have been maybe better playing him at 13 to to get the ball in the in the outside channel? Maybe more for me. He was more a rack machine last night, trying to protect the ball and so on when they went uh, the front door. Um, but also, it was it was a little bit almost, uh, and excuse me for saying it, but it was almost Island New Zealand. You know, Connacht had a lot of movement. Uh, in the play, but they didn't really go anywhere, mm. uh, you know, and, and Bordeaux was really comfortable in defending it. So Prendergast out on the wing that a lot of teams are using, the, the flankers there, but would he have maybe been better off um, getting those yards in midfield? I don't know. And then Bordeaux, you know, their transition play is is just class and the speed that they had, the pace that they had, um, Connacht just couldn't deal with that. Yeah, and then with Mac Hansen going off injured as well, it doesn't look great. And then I saw Rory O'Connor uh, tweeting last night, and he pointed out an interesting fact that it's going to get more and more difficult for Connacht because their next five matches are Saracens away, Ulster away, Munster at home, Leon away, and Bristol at home. That's a pretty daunting lineup. It is, it is, and definitely Saracens uh, next week as well. You know, so Connacht has got this attacking flair, but they have to punch the. Uh, they have to punch to get the gain line as well, you know. And as we said, they in the first five minutes they did it, but it's to sustain that. And then also their defence. I think their defence, the tries that was scored against them was almost too easy, you know. But that's probably the class of a Pinau and a and so on, you know. Luku, I think, had a brilliant game, one of his best games, and so on. So so Bordeaux didn't allow them to to get into the game again. Mm, absolutely. Well, uh, it's no doubt about it. They have a tough few weeks ahead of them. Um, bad, bad result last night. They won't be happy, but um, I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll, they'll try and get their act together as quickly as possible. Um, okay, moving on to the other provinces. Obviously, uh, we've got interest on Sunday, but we, before that, Munster, um, they're probably in, in a good position playing some decent rugby. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I'll be very surprised if Munster get beaten today. You know, I know um, by on, you know, they're going, uh, where are they in the table? You know, they're going a sort of mid-table just behind La Rochelle mm. towards the bottom. So I would say that Munster should come out with a win. The style of play that they play, the back that they have is is similar bar Witchley coming in. You know, the back row is playing really, really well at the moment as a unit. So... Uh, I I would see Munster Munster get a bonus point at home. Yeah, I, I have to say I'm impressed with the way Munster <clears throat> have been playing. All right, and I think uh, you're right. It's uh, it, it's pretty difficult to see them not getting across the line and getting a result because they have. Uh, I, I think Graham Rowntree is kind of um, you know he's. People have been wondering about what kind of game style he's going to try and bring in with that Munster team. And it's as if he's been waiting to try and get the right combinations in place. And it seems to be there now. And there's certainly that bit of expanse, which they were lacking, it seemed, in their game. Being able to move that ball along the game line, having a pack of forwards who could deliver that uh, for them. So um, I think they're there now. So they're they're suddenly back being a very strong force again. Um, So I agree. I can't see beyond getting a result against them. I think they'll... uh, They'll get a, a pretty handy enough result, I think, Munster today. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that one unfolds. Now, Ulster, on the other hand, they're away. Uh, I, I'm not so positive about them, I have to say. 
No, look, Ulster for me is the team that I have to deliver this week. You know, Ulster is always, it's almost like going to a party and you know what to expect, but, you know, you don't expect anything more. You know, they they always deliver to a certain extent, but then the result of, of last week and so on, they have to go to Bath and beat them if they've got any aspirations, I think. You know, very familiar side again and so on. So they shouldn't be, if, if they, if they want to, succeed in in europe they have to go and beat bath away he's going quite strong but i still don't know how strong bath really is although they at the top of the premiership at the moment so i think ulster need to go and set a marker there yeah but they were very poor ulster uh, you know of recent times they just there doesn't seem to be that spark in them at all and i mean we've been saying this for a good few years with ulster i mean they've they're a, t- they're a squad that are underperforming with the players that they have. There's no question about that. And obviously they brought in, um, you know, replacements and, uh, you know, the great South African uh, coming in as well. Uh, tight end. But I mean, they're not going to be, you know, just going to win because their scrum has suddenly gotten better. Um, I, I, I just I just feel their their performances have been poor, so poor all season. Yeah, Bath are good, like that- Bath are really good. Yes, no, no, look, Bath is, you know, and in fairness to Johan van Kran, you know, he's turned them around, you know, after being with them now for a second or third year. But I do think Kitsov will bring a bit of leadership, hopefully, to, to Ulster as well. But, you know, Dwayne Vermeulen did that in, in the past as well. But the front row, he, he'll tighten that up and so on. But it's it's the halfback still, you know, they're good players, but they're not Champions Cup players, I don't think, you know, mm. and and Ulster seem to not be sure who their nine is, who their ten is, you know, do they play Doak, do they play Cooney, do they play Burns, or do they play Flannery, you know, and I, you have to be sure going into big games who your best halfbacks are. Yeah, no question about it, and, and, <laughs> and in fact, you know, as you said, Kitchoff's a huge signing, and I, I mentioned him already as being um, adding greatly to the squad. But exactly what you said. I mean, that ten axis, that whole getting that. Like, there's a talented backline there, but it just doesn't seem to be able to get going. Um, and you'd wonder if they might have been better served looking to fill that position with someone maybe of a higher quality. Yeah, no, I would agree. You know, McCluskey is going to get you go forward, you know, and Hume is a good player. But, you know, at international level, which this is just below that, you know, you need you need players that, that can be ball players, that can get you go forward, that can have a kicking game, uh, all-round players and so on. And I don't know if, if Ulster have that. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be hopeful for them in that game against Bath now, I have to say. I can't see them getting a result there, but hopefully they'll prove me wrong. I really do hope they prove me wrong because uh, I want uh, Ulster to do well, but it just doesn't feel uh, wonderful at the moment the way things are going. Well, we'll see. Uh, now, Leinster, um, obviously a huge game. <laughs> the usual story, the La Rochelle uh, battle, as we, as we call it. But it has a very different feel to it than it did for the last couple of times we played against them in those finals uh, most notably being the starting team the change of guard that at 10 uh, the question all week about who would get the nod there uh, and they've gone with Harry Byrne um, and it just you know you've got injuries as well to the likes of Furlong Van der Fleer's on the bench it's a strange looking lineup for me it is it is but uh, you know and again we all speculate and so on 
you know, is it a little bit of, of Ninava coming in and saying, look, we've got to have a bomb squad <laughs> coming off the bench from a flyer, you know, being part of that and uh, Nagatai that, that played very well against them last year and so on, you know, that if things don't work for us, that that we can change it in, in playing sort of a different style or more direct style of play. So who knows, you know, I still, uh, I do think that Leinster is probably just in a better place than La Rochelle at the moment, although none of them are playing particularly well, uh, you know, and, and or as well as they can. So it's definitely a different feel to it. But I do think if there's, well, we said it last year as well, but if there's an opportunity for Leinster in a, I don't want to say and it's always very competitive, but it's not the be-all and end-all, you know. Uh, I don't think the pressure will get as much to Leinster in, in this game than it might might have got previously in the finals. So I, I, would, I would see Leinster hopefully come out on top, but then again, you know, I would have probably gone for Frawley. Uh, at 10. Well that's the interesting question I was going to ask you next because you like a lot of people are in that uh, are of that opinion um, it's 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 a constant debate I mean obviously Ross Byrne is injured it's a constant debate between Frawley and Harry Byrne there's no question whatsoever both very very talented players no doubt whatsoever about it it's just that people seem to be of the opinion and I think myself included that when you put the two head-to-head in recent performances, Frawley is just edging it a little bit at the moment, and given that this is such a big game, you would have thought that he'd have earned his right to have a, have a, have a shot at that. Yes, no, I, I would certainly agree with that. But then, again, Harry Byrne has come through the ranks. He's waited his chance. This is probably his big moment to see, can he perform at, at the, the highest level? Not that I doubt that, mm. but uh, I am a Frawley I, I am more in the Frawley camp. I think he offers us more. I think he's more physical as well, coming up against French sides, having played 12 quite a bit as well. So mm. so it would have probably been my choice. But then again, you know, he might have that role off the bench. And I think, as I say, speculation, but that might be something that Ninaba can bring to Leinster as well, is that, you know, it's not the best 15 that plays. You know, yeah. we, play, we play a team... Each week we pick a different bench because they they the ones that's going to ultimately finish the game for us. But is he there long enough to do that? That's the question, you know, Ninambar. And I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying, but he's literally in the door. Um, I don't know if there's been enough. Yeah, time no, I, to... I think that that's for for future. But yeah. maybe one or two selections like that is is a start of that of that thinking process. Okay, yeah. And uh, Van der Fleer on the bench. You're okay with that? I'll always have him in the starting lineup. <laughs> Me too. You know, world, yeah. world, world rugby player of the year. I've just never seen him play play a poor game, you know. And he's an 80-minute man as well and, and so on. So for me, when, when I saw the team sheet, it, it was a surprise. But then, you know, Will Connors, he's been around a long time, very unfortunate with injuries and so on. But he's the Dan Lidiot of... of you know, Wales in, in the past, you know, he's a chop tackler. I think there was a stat when, might be three, four years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, but where he didn't miss a tackle as well in the whole uh, Pro 14 and, yeah. and so on, you know. So I think Connors is there to do a job on, on the big units, you know, to not go for Skelton's upper legs, but get his ankles and get him to ground.
Uh, the death was announced during the week of legendary rally driver Rosemary Smith at the age of 86. A wonderful career um, that spanned uh, uh, many, many decades and um, involved in motorsport the whole way through that time. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by the editor of the Mead Chronicle, John Dunne, to discuss that. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm very good, Reggie. How are you? I'm wonderful, thanks. Uh, yeah, I was reading uh, with great interest all week about Rosemary Smith, and um, I'd obviously heard about Rosemary many times in the past, but her, her death during the week, and it uh, reignited some interest and got me back uh, into reading about her life, and an absolutely incredible life it was. I suppose a, a woman who defied all the odds uh, in a sport that was absolutely dominated by men there's no question about it uh, and in, in fact the uh, women were probably just the uh, sidebar for many of the events that she would have been at but she broke the mould entirely and decided she was going to take it on herself and get behind the wheel and break all the records and uh, what an amazing career she had how did it even start that she got into that side of uh, the driving side of it oh yes uh, we were very sad during the week to hear of um of Rosemary's passing because she she had been at her sports awards a couple of times and was always very entertaining and witty and glamorous and and it mightn't surprise anyone to hear that she, uh, motorsport wasn't her first choice of career. She was originally working in a, a boutique with her mother in South Anne Street in Dublin and she had been a prize-winning student at the Grafton Academy of, of Fashion in Dublin and one of her customers, Delphine Bigger, um, brought her driving, decided to bring her out driving as a navigator on one occasion and found that Rosemary couldn't read the maps. So about three miles into the, this rally, she just they abandoned and says, OK, you're driving, I'll read the map. And this is what kicked off the, the interest in motorsport for Rosemary and, and led to that career, which... which Gosh, went on to so many international rallies and wins and and achievements. So there was obviously a, a, a natural ability and instinct there to, to get into it and be successful at it. But as you said, international career and achievements. And I mean, when she won uh, the uh, rally, the, the Tulip Rally in 1965, that would be the equivalent of the WRC, we'll say now. And I believe it was an 1,800-mile circuit. I mean, this isn't some sort of one-off race where you kind of go around Brands Hatch a few times and you get a result and fluke it. This is a serious, serious event. Oh, the, the, these are hugely challenging um, routes, and you're going through—you know—you're going through all kinds of terrain and mountains. Mm. And at one stage, I think she, she drove backwards around the Khyber Pass in a in a, in in one of those events. But her her, her father had a a garage in Rathmines, and that's where the the interest in the cars came from. And she had learned to drive at a at a very young age, and. Like when you look at what Katie Taylor and Rachel Blackmore, the, their profile in in women's sports at the moment, that's what Rosemary Smith's profile was in the back in the nineteen sixties and seventies when things weren't easy for women, and that was a very male dominated sport. Mm. And she took it on, took on the challenge, and she decided, like she was she was winning the the coup de dame in um, in the Monte Carlo rallies and she, in rallies, and she took part in. I think eight rallies, but she was. She said that wasn't my aim to win the to, to win the, the the cup for the women. You know, she, I'm I'm going to win this overall. And like she went on to 
God, she went on to stage win stages in the London to Sydney Marathon, the world, the London to Mexico, the Safari Rally, the Alpine Rallies. I mean, can you imagine those? Mm. Incredible, absolutely incredible. That that story you told there about the Kyber Pass, I was reading about that during the week. It was, in fact, the gearbox failed. She couldn't get out of first gear, so she stuck yeah. it in reverse and got, got was going faster in reverse up yeah. the hill than she was in first gear. So incredible uh, stories. But she didn't and just... She hadn't... Uh, yeah, sorry? She she hadn't an easy personal life and and she 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 was quite honest in recounting that in when she wrote her biography mm. in around the age of 80, she, she had come back to prominence because Reynolds had brought her over to France for a documentary to get her to drive a Formula One car That's right. uh, when she was about 79 years of age. And, yeah. and, and that went viral on Facebook then and on social media. And she, she very much, her career, her interest in her career was revived. And, and she set about doing her book called Driven. And then out of that grew book tours and signings and a whole new um, interest in Rosemary that for a new generation as well. And rightly so. And as you said, yeah, at the age of 79 years of age, she drove an 800 brake horsepower Formula One car in a test drive yeah. for Renault in the circuit, in, in uh, circuit Paul Ricard in France. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, well, there's no question about it. Um, it, it, it was a life well lived and uh, as, as I remember uh, hearing from my own mother-in-law at a time when women were uh, barely allowed into bars and certainly if they got married they were made give up their jobs I remember her telling me that story in around that era so to go on and uh, perform as she did at that level against all the odds I'm sure it mustn't have been easy and men wouldn't like uh, to have been getting beaten by the women back in those days that certainly wouldn't have gone down well so she would have had to uh, face a lot of criticism I'm sure for even being in the sport yeah, and, and she said that herself. I, I remember that night when she was down at her sports so She lived briefly around Tlaney and Dunboyne, which was the, the connection with Mead. Mm. And, and when we were looking at a Hall of Fame award, just just happened pre-lockdown. We had people like Sean Bylan and Tommy Carberry. But there hadn't been a woman on the list uh, going back to that era. And... Rosemary Smith was the obvious choice then, but she said herself she didn't feel like a trailblazer because she was continuously being put down by the men who, I'm just reading here her line, because she was put down by the men who maintained that women didn't drive fast cars, um, she said that night at the sports awards, which she said I showed them, yeah. and she, she was she was, um, she, she was very good that night. She even She even got herself into a Formula 3 car that young Keen Carey had brought along to the Knightsbrook Hotel that night. <laughs> Can't imagine what happened afterwards. <laughs> Hopefully she didn't take it out on the roads. Uh, well, John, uh, as always, uh, great chatting to you and uh, I have to say, uh, great dedication to Rosemary Smith. A wonderful life, well lived and uh, as you said, back in the limelight, there'll be a lot of new interest around her and probably her book over the Christmas period for period for people to, to look into as well and may she rest in peace but she certainly lived a full and wonderful wonderful life. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning, John. We'll chat again. Thank you, Reg. It's time now for NFL. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Stephen O'Brien. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Good, Reggie, or Aka hit. I just want to get that out first, right? Because you <laughs> <laughs> get on the radio. Oh, I was going to say it. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Well done. Congrats. Been a while since we've said yep. that. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Apologies to the punters out there. But look, this is how tricky it is, right? So we go for the treble. Yeah, uh, we used to go sort of out right, but like the odds were always, if it, 
manky, you know. Like, I mean, when you go outright and you don't play the spreads, you're t- you need to pick four or five games to get a, like, whatever it is, four to one return. And it's very hard to do. So, look, we went Lions minus 4.5, Reg. They won by five, which is half a point. Mm. Uh, Texans minus 3.5 to one by five. That's one and a half points. And the Chargers were minus 5.5, and they got six points to get the win. That's the margins we're playing with. Oh, I so understand. Uh, Believe me, uh, with rugby, it's similar. The algorithms or whatever they have to decide the spreads on these bets are usually on the money. So it's very hard to beat them. So I do sympathise. Thanks. Just saying, you know, I'm just covering my own backside for the punters out there. But look, that's 73 quid in the bank. I think we started week two. So we need maybe three or four to hit, you know, to end the season on a positive. That's not what people want to hear, right? No, they won't. They want to be be placing the bet every week and winning, but sure. No, they won't. But it's not about Akers either. I'm just delighted to see the Packers run of form continuing, uh, defeating the reigning Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs in Lambeau Field, of course. Of course, the uh, the bastion that is Lambeau Field. It mm-hmm. hasn't been the last while, you know, but it's good. Look, it's Matt LaFleur, the head coach for the Packers. He hasn't lost a single game, Reg, in December. How wild is that? And when you look at the likes of, you look at it and go, fine, Green Bay is up in the sticks, you know, and it's cold and it's frosty and there's snow and it's very hard to play in. The players that come there are slipping around the place. But that's a sideshow, really, to exactly what they did. And you alluded to it, you know, these are the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Um, now, there's a bit of nuance there, right, because, you know, their defensive players got injured and the the guy who wears the comms helmet for the defense, he was their third stringer coming in. But, I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes and we could hear the commentators swoon all over Patrick Mahomes. And for good measure, Reg, because you've seen him, I've seen him, everyone, the world has seen him. He's the poster boy for what a young, dynamic quarterback can do and he goes straight to the Super Bowl, wins it, he's in it every year. You always ask me, Steve, What's the playoff hopes? And like the Chiefs are there every single year, no matter who they have playing for them uh, at wide receiver or whatever. And the Packers go out with Jordan Love in his first year after Aaron Rodgers. We're the youngest team in the NFL. And it's just elite quarterback play. And it all looks like it's coming together for the Packers now. They have a 75% chance, Reg, of making the playoffs. And the last five games that we have to play, uh, none of them are a winning squad. Um, and four of them are ticked to be, you know, definitely winnable games. And when you look at sort of, you know, what the strength of schedule is, it's second last. So it's the second easiest schedule on the run into the playoffs. And no one expected us to be here when we went on a slide of losing a bunch of games. So uh, the future looks bright for the Packers. So it's easier to come on the radio, especially with you, Rich. Because <laughs> yeah. I know you stick the boot in when the Packers aren't doing well. But yeah, it's nice to see them recover the way they have. Oh, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm a secret Packers fan. Don't worry. I, I only just like yeah. do it to wind you up. Um <laughs> Buffalo Bills uh, coach Sean McDermott having to make some uh, apologies for questionable 9-11 remarks. What's that about? Yeah. Four years after the speech is made. I want to pick your brain about this, Reg, when I saw it, right? So he's the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. He makes a questionable speech. Um, and it resurfaces because there's a guy called Tyler Dunn. He's a journalist. He covered the Packers, actually, for a while. And he used to bring out these sort of hit pieces. But he has his own blog. So he brought out this article called The McDermott Problem lost in translation and he starts talking about some of McDermott's sort of dodgy speeches that he's made and how he's kind of you know been off the mark and he's a he's a bit of a goof you know because they're sort of saying the system is flawed right so you have a really good defensive coordinator and they say oh you're a good defensive coordinator so you have to be a head coach now soon and they promote you probably too far up the line but one of his speeches came out Reg where he cited the hijackers and this is a quote as a group of people who were able to get on the same page to orchestrate attacks to perfection unquote. 
So, I mean, especially in the American market, uh, it was a massive tragedy. And, like, I see what he was probably thinking he was trying to do, which is to grab their attention with a story that they're like, oh, that's so from left field. But uh, it came out again, and he's had to apologize. I think he lost a friend in 9-11, so it's unfortunate with him. But, Reg, a question to you from playing at the highest level here. Hmm. Do locker room speeches from head coaches or from position coaches make that much of a difference where they will give you that edge in the game? Um, well, you know, if you're looking at uh, any given Sunday and you see that fantastic Al Pacino uh, speech, you might, might think there'd be great motivation in it. There were a lot of that in the uh, earlier days, let's say, of professionalism. Um, there was a lot of that kind of carry-on and motivational speeches and everything else. They've gone out, um, uh, uh, you know, now it's very much around um, facts. Uh, tactics, strategy, uh, where where the weaknesses are at the moment. You have to understand nowadays uh, everything is being analysed in real time. So there's uh, video analysts there, there's a team of video analysts there picking up on weaknesses. There's uh, statisticians looking at um, performance, the uh, how the team players themselves are. So it's <clears throat> all that kind of stuff is kind of out the window now. There is still room for the motivational pep talk, let's call it, and there is yeah. a little bit of trying to get the blood boiling just as you're about to go out on the pitch, but it's very much the last minute stuff when all of the uh, strategy and the uh, everything else is done. Now, in different sports, it's different. I mean, as you go down the ranks, maybe in, in GAA, maybe in football, at amateur levels and at lower levels, of course there is. There's all that rah-rah and razzmatazz and g and the lads up, and you do need a bit of that to get the blood uh, pumping, but uh, it's 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 dying out a good bit in professional sport and certainly these comments that he made are bizarre is the word I'd use I don't know how you'd relate them in sport yeah I mean some of the players come out Rez and they were like you know because Tyler Dunn the journalist was asking him and said here because he had a, there was another one about uh, Niagara Falls it was a tragedy that happened at Niagara Falls with a car and he raised that but apparently he didn't he didn't come home with the sort of the point of the story he said it just for shock value hmm. and so they asked him about the 9-11 one and these lads were some of the lads didn't even want to talk about it. They were like, it's just so weird. You know, yeah, like, yeah. it didn't resonate with us. We didn't get it's the point that he field, could have used yeah. a different example. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, talk to me about the Jets. They've stooped to a new low. They've benched their starting quarterback, Zach Wilson. What's going yeah, on? And making him. Yeah, they, well, they benched him, and now they're bringing him back again. Just, It's just, a, again, weird behavior from them. Look, they have a great defense, uh, poor offense, and they blame Zach Wilson for it. So last season, they benched him twice. Then in the off-season, they went about sort of courting Aaron Rodgers, 40-year-old Aaron Rodgers, right? Again, put MVP seasons together, all that kind of stuff. They landed Rodgers. They put him behind a bad O-line to, that can't protect him. He gets injured. Then they throw Zach Wilson back out on the field again. It's still a lousy O-line. He does okay, and then he doesn't do well. So then they bench him. And we talked about this sort of last week or the week before. Not only do they bench him, Reg, they make him quarterback number three on the depth chart behind a guy called Tim Boyle, behind a guy called Trevor, Trevor Simeon. They put Tim Boyle out there for two games, and he sucks, right? Not only, he sucks so bad that they release him. And then they say to Zach Wilson again, here's Zach, you wouldn't play for us again, would you? Now, look, there's an awful lot sort of swirling around about it, saying, look, Zach Wilson, yes, it's, it's bad for him that he got benched a couple of times. It could be his fault. His, his numbers aren't great as a quarterback. It's his job to play for the Jets. But they've definitely scapegoated him, Reg. It's really bizarre to like put him out there, take him back off. Put him out there, take him back off. 
bench him, make him the third guy, put him in street clothes, and then go, oh, actually, we need you again. You know, and this is from a head coach who was saying, oh, we won't just make rash decisions to give a spark to the team. Then he put Tim Boyle out there and I said, what are you doing this? And he goes, oh, just to give a spark to the team. So mm-hmm. it's an absolute mess. They've scapegoated him. They're making him look bad. And they put him in the position where... They said, look, we're going to do what we want with you in the public eye. Tell everybody about it. And then we're going to try to put you back out there again. And if you don't play, guess what? You're unprofessional. You're not there. You're not a team player. So apparently Zach Wilson came out and said, I don't want to play for these lads anymore. And Aaron Rodgers had to go and sort of convince him to come back. So he's coming back. But it's an absolute mess. And I think he probably can't wait to get away from the New York Jets. And from looking at it as well, Reg, yeah. I mean, look, Zach Wilson isn't doing great. That's the, that's the honest truth of it. So you can see why he's being benched, let's say. Yeah. But the other quarterbacks they've put out there haven't done well either. So whose problem is it really? Okay, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. All right. Um, let's, uh, you know, we, we had the hit last week. It was a 7-1 to shot. We're looking at a 6-1 to shot this week. Give us the yak yeah. we could do it a few, Bob, for Christmas. Right, let's try to do it again. Ravens coming up against the Rams. Large spread, though, minus 7.5. Uh, the Lions are coming up against the Bears. Lions are off a bye week. Could be a bit of a trap game. Bears are not too bad. Uh, it's minus three on that one. And then the Browns to go up against the Jags. The Jags are going to be without their starting quarterback. And it's only a minus three spread on that. And they've Joe Flacco in for the Browns. So that's Ravens, Lions, Browns. Play the spread, 6-1. to one, Tenor down, 69. Yo-yo's back. It's time for uh, GA now, and Declan Drake has all the latest news. After a dramatic end of top-class club fair, only one of our Senior 1 County champions remains standing. Kilmacud Crocs footballers advancing to the last four of the AOP All-Ireland Club Championship, while our champion hurlers Nafina and ladies footballers of Kilmacud Crocs lost out agonisingly in their big games. Crocs last Saturday recorded the three in a row of Leinster Club Championship wins, thanks to a flattering enough seven-point victory over Nace at Croke Park. 114 to 10 points was the full-time score. Shane Walsh with his third goal in four games, putting the icing on the Crocs cake. He indeed finishing his afternoon with a personal tally of 1-8. Well, once the dust settled on the victory, I caught up with their winning Crokes manager, Robbie Brennan. Robbie Brennan, Banished Door, Kilmichael Croke is with us here in the Bells at Croke Park. Congratulations. Three in a row, Leinster champions. Seven points in it at the end, Robbie. I think, don't think you'll feel that. That was a fair reflection of the game overall. No, every time I look at the scoreboard, I can seem to be two points. So seven is, is, is not fair on Nace at all. I thought they were exceptional. Um, it probably was a one or two point game and, and, and maybe we're very lucky to come out come out the right side given what they left behind them, you know. Two points up at half time, how were you feeling? No, we weren't happy. We weren't happy at all. We didn't play well. It's, it's, as I say, it wasn't uh, the bit of energy that we normally feed off wasn't there. So um, we were we were trying to create a little bit of that again. I don't think we got it that much in the second half until we kind of brought off the, uh, the guys off the bench and, and, and they gave us a good bit. You were always in front, but as, as the game was developing in the second half, there was more and more mistakes creeping in. There was more and more turnovers. Were you getting more concerned as it went on? I'm very much concerned in the first half. We just Some of our option taking was shocking and we were giving the ball away all the time. Uh, like to be fair to Nace, they put a serious press on in the second half. I thought the lads did well at times to work it out from the back. Um, but uh, overall, yeah, they, they looked to have more energy than us on the day. So when that happens and you win, you're always happy, you know. When push came to shove, you were able to use your big game experience and your big game player stepped up once again and, and Shane Walsh again with another fine goal. Yeah, brilliant goal, brilliant goal. He has that in the locker, as they say, you know, but um, he worked really hard. He got a brilliant block in the first half, as did Paul. So uh, when those two boys are working like that, we know we're, we're, we're in with a chance. It hasn't been a week without its difficulties, of course. You've had injuries and, and illnesses in the camp as well. Yeah, that's been a bit tricky, but uh, unfortunately we're used to that. So uh, it's just, you know, as we always say, it's just the next man up. That's how we kind of look at it and approach it. And uh, the guys who came in did well. Well done today, Robbie. Thanks, Thank Cheers.
So then to the second game on the double bill at Croke Park last Saturday afternoon, the Senior Hurling Championship final in the province of Leinster. Nafina's bid for a first title at this level to go with their one won in Dublin a few months previously, falling agonisingly short against O'Loughlin Gales of Kilkenny. At the end of a thrilling contest, the bare minimum between the sides, finishing O'Loughlin Gales 22 points, Nafina one eighteen. Sean Curry with a brilliantly taken goal for the Moby Road men in 39 minutes would actually push them ahead by two points in the game. The pace never relented after that. The sides were level until late on. Mark Bergen sent over the crucial winning score for the Northsiders who advanced to the All-Ireland semi-final. So a real disappointment then for Nafina who really on the day couldn't have given much more to the cause. I caught up with their boss, Neil O'Callaghan. This is what he had to say to me. Neil O'Callaghan, Banished Door of Nafina, joins us here at Crow Park. Um, I realise it's so soon after the event, Neil, but heartbreaking, crushing disappointment for the lads at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely well put. Uh, we're obviously, like, it's very, very short after the game, hard to analyse, uh, but we're absolutely devastated, yeah. Well, uh, what kind of position did you feel you were in at half time in the game? Yeah, half time we came in, um, it was tight, it was 9 7 or whatever it was at half time. I think we we're two points down. We felt. Um, we felt we were very much in it. Uh, we felt we were very much in it. hadn't I suppose have not really performed to where we, to where we can either. Uh, we were conscious we were, you know, there was multiple frees there that, that that we had given up. That I think they might have had six scores from frees in in the first half. If we had just maybe half of those even, you know. Uh, so we were, that's something that we focused in on in the second half. But yeah, no half half time we were we felt certain things were going well. Uh, they were they were exposed as well in certain in certain areas but also we had a couple of goal chances in that first half as well that if we um, that that if, if, if we had just taken them we could have been in a different spot at half time but yeah half time we were comfortable enough yeah. and that goal when it came brilliantly executed a team goal and gave everybody connected with Nafina real belief perhaps that you could go on and do it after that yeah, we always had the belief, to be honest, you know, uh, the goal was you know, the, at, at that time of the game, probably, what was it, 45, 40 minutes or, or 42 minutes or whatever it was, uh, great time to get a goal in a, in a tight game like that, and, and Sean and Colin again did very well for as well, you know, a team goal, but um, yeah, no, it did, it, uh, it gave us a, a bit of impetus, I think they may have gone straight up and maybe, I think it was Deegan or something, um, stuck a ball over the bar straight away, uh, and fair play to them for doing so, but uh, yeah, the goal was big, but um yeah, unfortunately, we 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 just didn't kick on then. Yeah, well, with me, obviously, this stage is, is huge disappointment. But there's also got to be a tremendous sense of pride in in the year that you've had. I mean, getting over the the hoodoo of, of winning your first uh, county title, coming into Leinster and going all the way to a provincial final as well, Neil. Yeah, we're very proud of that. It's very, I suppose, we you know, 15 minutes after a game like that's very hard to 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 kind of have yourself above it and reflect, but. Um, yeah, listen for sure. Yeah, like th- this year has been has been huge for our club. Our first tour, um, our first senior senior hurling championship in Dublin. Um, as soon as we had that one, we we absolutely targeted this and, and felt and felt we could do it and would do it. Um, and unfortunately, felt short. But yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, overall, we'd be very proud of the lads and the year they put in. Elsewhere last week, Scully Connell were beaten by Kildare side Alan Wood in the final of the Leinster Intermediate Club Championship at Parnell Park. 
24 hours later, there was heartbreak for the ladies of Kilmacud Croaks, who were beaten in their All-Ireland semi-final by defending champions Kilkerran Clonbairn of Galway after extra time. Paddy O'Donoghue's back-to-back Dublin and Leinster champions going down on a scoreline of 15 points to one goal and 10. Grace Coss was the goal scorer for the Purple and Gold Ladies, losing out for the second consecutive year at this particular stage of the Championship. Back to the club scene now and the under-21A hurling championship has been claimed by Kilmacud Croaks. They required penalties to beat Lucan Sars 3-1 in the final at O'Toole Park. That role reversal from the minor A championship thriller between the two sides the week before Sars coming out on top on that one. It'll be interesting to see how the rivalry develops between these two clubs in pursuit of the Senior A hurling championship in the county in years to come. Well done this morning to Kula and Dublin lady Jennifer Dunn, who last week claimed the AFL title in Australia to go with her All-Ireland medal, won with the Dubs earlier in the year. The first lady indeed to do that, so congratulations to her. Certainly has been some year because not only did she win those honours, but she also won a TG Carr All-Star Award and was nominated for Player of the Year as well. Back to fixtures on the pitch. The curtain comes down today on the under-21A football championship. Interesting cross-city battle in prospect at O'Toole Park this afternoon from 1.45 as Ballyboden St Enders take on Ballymun Kickhams in that one. So we wish both sides the best of luck in their endeavours to win that particular championship. Finally this week on GAA with Declan Drake on Dublin's Talking Sport, the county's fixtures in the Allianz National Football and Hurling Leagues were officially released on Wednesday. Desi Farrell's footballers back in Division 1, having won the Division 2 title last year, have a Croke Park opener against Monaghan on January the 27th. A week later, Michal Donoghue, starting his second year in charge of the county's hurlers, will welcome Tipperary to Parnell Park. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend.